1: PlushCare Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: Greetings, Meltopians. I have a little announcement pertaining to the cast of Grimlin. I, Stephen Anzalone, will now be voicing Vorin instead of Walker. This is due to scheduling conflicts and the fact that Walker's editing business has picked up steam, and so he will not have the bandwidth to voice the character anymore. Otherwise, the show will continue as is. Thank you for your time, and enjoy the show. Jesus, tell me, Moffat. Tell me we ain't fucking going in there. It's a distinct possibility, my friend. Jesus, last time I was in a cave, I, I almost got fucking eaten by some kind of giant mutant bear. And that cave was small. Who knows what fucking freak show's hiding in there? Christ! You could fit Autumn City in that goddamn thing. Do we actually know where we're going, Moffat? I mean, where's this all leading to? Well, I understand the rest of you may want off this continent... Let's not forget we're still on a mission here. Explore, Grimland, and see what we can find. With all due respect, Voron, I... You know, I think the mission went out the window when a certain demonic storyteller in a living storm decided to make mincemeat of the cavalry. I mean, I was sent here to do research, but I'm about as useful as tits on a bull without a lab. And Salvatore over here was tasked with helping protect research personnel and secure the base's perimeter, which is now... Well, gone. So, I don't think there's much of a mission left. Well, perhaps your duties have ended, but mine and River's have not. We were tasked to find out what we could about this godforsaken place, and we mean to do just that. I assume Moffat was sent with similar instructions, but I'm quite sure he won't tell us what they are. The Magic Lantern Club's interest in this place is its own, I'm afraid. However, that doesn't mean we can't assist each other. Despite your past academic follies, Dr. Morrigan, you've proven most useful out here. Somehow understanding the local tongue-and-all, a topic we've been mysteriously avoiding for a good stint. And Salvatore, you were instrumental in the assault on Misereth and our subsequent escape. So, I'd say, we all have our roles to play. You see, it's, it's the way you said that last part, we all have our roles to play. "'It's like you know something but won't tell us. "'Why the fuck won't you just be straight with us? "'I'm sick of this futures of burden bullshit. "'If you know something, just spill it.' Moffat gave Wesley a coy smile, a knowing glare. "'Oh, come now, Dr. Morrigan. "'We all have our secrets, don't we? "'Surely you must have a couple hidden in there, hmm?' "'There's no point in arguing about it. "'River and I have work we need to do here.' And since none of you really have any other options, you might as well help. Meanwhile, we follow its direction. Even if he is being a cunt. Well, I wouldn't put it that way, but I, I get the intended in spirit. <sighs> Alright, so what do we do? I would suggest searching these ruins. Maybe there's some information we could use to determine what happened here. Maybe even get an idea of where to go next. Alright, which way then? Voren pointed toward the central location of the ruins, where various crumbling buildings and monuments stood derelict and abandoned. Let's make our way over there, based on the architecture, of what's left of it anyway. It looks like a place of import. The group collectively nodded and made their way across the ruined landscape. The buildings had a twisted nobility, a grandiosity that spoke of self-importance and regality. The structures themselves reminded him of Roman architecture, with a few Gothic overtures thrown in for good measure. Giant black pylons of strange stone front of the entrance of large, ornately designed buildings. Many had carved reliefs etched into their bodies, strange menacing figures looming over archways and windows. Still others had large statues decorating their courtyards, bestial things with large manes of outstretched tentacles around their necks and a large set of jaws waiting at their center. They partook of no known physiology Wesley recognized. Their bodies were overly muscled, like that of a giant pit bull. Barbed tails, almost as long as the creature's body, lashed behind them. They were intimidating, even in stone relief. Other stone figures populated the grounds. Prominent figures wearing ornate, ghastly masks, their bodies hidden beneath billowing robes. Others were adorned in wicked armor, their faces similarly covered by masks that Wesley could barely look at. There was something about their appearance as if a terrible foulness lay beneath the crafted facades. They told of ancient dooms far blacker than anything he could ever comprehend. Besides the buildings, there were significant stone monuments, dolmens of black rock inlaid with strange glyphs, bizarre writings etched around their circumference. They eventually came upon a wicked-looking structure, its pillars puncturing the ceiling of mist that hung over the valley. The main body of the place seemed hexagonal, its many walls completely black but for their refulgent sheen. A series of large obelisks jutted up from the top of the thing, like the spires of a dire crown. Strange crimson glyphs decorated the face of each hulking monolith, the writing too faded to make out. Attached to the left and right side of the main building were large, castle-like structures, their composition a mix of onyx and a strange kind of ashen stone. Weird, glassy minarets stabbed into the sky like upturned talons, and towers made to look like hulking demonic beasts stood vigilant and tall at the corners. More statuary of masked fiends adorned the place, a row of them leading to the front entrance. There was a horrible sense about the area, a filthiness that stained the air. It wasn't unlike what Wesley felt in Misereth, but more potent, more concentrated. It was as if the place were the mouth to hell, its gaping jaws yawning, the collective breath of millions of lost souls wafting in their faces. There was almost a palpable aura about the place, a spiritual tumult that hid beneath a veneer of obsidian and polished stone. Wesley began to shake, and he could see Salvatore doing the same. What the hell is this place? I can't be sure, but... I believe these structures are of erythymic construction, perhaps even before the tannin fall. But that would make them ancient, beyond ancient, well before the span of man's brief time on this planet. So what the hell is it doing here? That would make sense, given the statuary. What do you mean? Legend has it that the erythym wore a horrific mass to cover up the even more ghastly visages. It's said that to look upon the true face of an erythim is to stare into the abyss itself. Are are you saying some of these fucking things might be in there? Highly doubtful. The erythim have been dead for eons, but still, to see their artifacts. That's all good and great, but uh, don't you guys feel that... Jesus, I don't know, that that darkness? The erythim partook of the foulest energies and magics. It's no surprise that their essence taints the lands they walked. However, the place seems long deserted, and if the airthem did dwell here at some point, you might very well find some answers. if you say so, as usual, River took to the front of the group, he paused before the door, a thing festooned with strange designs and writing. They glowed the very second River touched the door. River looked back and signed to the group. Hmm. seems the wards are still active after all this time. River, do you think you can force it open? River nodded and gestured for the group to back up. Oh, Christ, here comes another bottle of nausea. Probably going to yak up that Salisbury steak I ate earlier. Strike that from the menu from now on. As River removed his mask, the wind began to blow, sulfur and brimstone suffusing the air. At first, he only whispered, and Wesley could see black bile and acid dripping from the mailsayer's mouth. Then, as he continued to utter the language of devils, the sigils on the door began to glow bright red, as if the maligned words were activating them somehow. Riva's curses grew louder until finally, the incandescent glyphs exploded, and the door slowly squeaked open.
2: The hell was that?
0: Apparently, the doors are sealed by serpent energies, I imagine. It seems the maledictions were enough to activate them and cause them to sort of short circuit. Whatever you say. Riva opened the heavy door, and the group slowly moved in. Inside was a large antechamber. Hideous statues of deformed creatures stood like columns holding up the dome ceiling. Despite being made from some kind of stone, there was an organic feel to the place's interior. Indeed, Archways curved with the smoothness of the human body and Wesley could see, upon closer inspection, that bone-like structures seemed integrated with the rock. But the construction was seamless, as if the bones had naturally grown out from the stone itself, like there was a biology to it all. Every part of the room seemed like a different aspect of a larger, more grotesque body. But besides the place's monstrous statuary and anatomical feel, there was a sense of abject evil. Wesley wasn't sure how to describe it, but he felt like he had discovered a pit of utter corruption. Some unnameable, unknowable malevolence. It seemed alive. A poisonous ghost slipped into the ether of his soul. Ugh, this place feels awful. Jesus! What The hell is the matter with it? The Arathim built their cities on serpent lines, places of concentrated evil, so that they might absorb and channel it as they please. What you're feeling is the residuum of that corruption. Great. After inspecting the large room, Riva opened a sizable oaken door to the left and led the group through a winding corridor. The walls were decorated with awful looking masks, each housed in darkly bejeweled frames. Various doors lined the hallways, some festooned with the same reddish glyphs that decorated the entrance. Man, this place is huge. How the hell are we going to find our way around here? Foran stopped and sighed a moment, taking Wesley's words into consideration. Perhaps I can assist. Moffat unhooked his lantern from his waist and lit it. The light, at first, seemed like an ordinary light. But as they continued down the throat of the corridor, the lantern's light would bend in specific directions almost leading them along. Wesley began to hear a faint sound as they went through several rooms, many of which were in ruin. At first, he thought it was the wind creeping in through the many cracks and holes punctuating the place. But as he listened closer, he realized them for whispers. Anyone else hearing that? Yeah, what the fuck is that? I'm not sure. It could very well still be the residuum of the serpent line. But let's keep our eyes peeled. Yeah, but what if it's not? I I thought you said these fucking things were dead. As the group continued to follow the lantern light, deformed shapes started writhing upon the walls, large masked figures undulating in and out of existence. Many seemed to be fighting and dying, horrible forms washing over them, tearing them apart. The shadow puppet show continued as they went up a set of jet black stairs, a lone shadow traversing the steps. The silhouette was tall and hooded, wearing what seemed long, tattered robes that flowed like writhing eels behind it. When they finally came upon a large iron door, they could see familiar glyphs etched into its metal skin. However, they seemed charred, as if the energy they once contained had been spent. Riva slowly opened the door. The room was in disarray. Large holes punctuating the walls, score marks decorating the ceilings and floor, and various furnishings were torn and burnt. There had clearly been a struggle. This was confirmed by the shadows dancing across the wall, the strange robed figure they saw outside the door in a masked fiend in deadly conflict. Wesley was entranced by the display, in awe of each shadow's grace and brutality. Finally, the shadows faded, and the room was engulfed in the amber glow of Moffat's lantern. What the hell was all of that? The lantern reveals the truth of things. Apparently, this place was under siege. Yes, by what though? According to the legends, the Aerothym were unparalleled in their craft and power. So who or what would have the power to lay siege to one of their cities? Wesley pointed toward the large bookcases against the far wall. Maybe the answer's in one of those books. That's why we came up here, right? Foren nodded and made his way over to the small library, immediately picking through the dusty tomes. Meanwhile, Wesley looked inward, finding the voice's silence odd. You've been quiet. You know anything about these, um, erythim? A bit. They're the fallen Mithra, once majestic beings that eventually fell to their own arrogance. Funny how that happens. (laughs) Mithra? What's a Mithra? I'm not your fucking personal encyclopedia. Ask the bookworm if you're so curious. Jesus! All right, forget I fucking asked. While the others perused the area for anything useful, he wandered over to the giant desk at the front of the room. The thing was flourished with various arcane designs, and he could see his gaunt reflection upon its polished onyx surface. As he sifted through the drawers of the morose escritoire, he noticed something to his periphery, just behind the open door. It looked like fabric of some sort, a coat or something hanging on the wall. He slowly approached the dangling thing and shifted the door away to get a better look. Holy fucking Christ! Wesley backpedaled and fell to the floor, crawling away from the thing hanging on the wall. What the hell is that? Impaled against the wall by a giant ornate sword was a body. It wore a long black coat that draped to the floor, and its body was secured in a wicked set of gothic armor. It looked ancient, its hands decayed and skeletal, the fabric of its robes moth-eaten and tattered, cobwebs stretched across it like silky canvas tents, subtly shuddering to the leaking draft. But the most remarkable things about it were its lack of a head, and the demonic mass stapled to its chest by the aforementioned blade. Even in death, the thing possessed a sinister aura, an intangible plumage of evil. Judging by the mask pinned to its chest, I'm guessing that's the body of an Erathim. Yeah, but why haven't we seen any other bodies laying around? I mean, I get that this happened a long time ago, but uh, if he's here, where are the others? Because it's a message. Toil with me, and even your mightiest will fall. Whatever it was, must be powerful indeed to fell an erythim. The light from Moffat's lantern started to cast shadows again, this time of the desk Wesley was plundering before finding the impaled body. It showed a masked figure, the same one they had previously seen battling the hooded man, writing and then placing a book in one of the many drawers in the desk. Moffat strolled over to the behemoth thing and felt around. Eventually, there was a slight click and a mechanized hiss. resulting in a large square compartment that rose from the surface of the pitch workspace. Upon it was another seal, dimly glowing in incandescent red. Riva, if you would be so kind. Riva made his way over and uttered a few words in that diabolical tongue of his. Then, like the rest, the ward ignited and suddenly fizzled out. Leaking a foul smell Wesley could nary tolerate, Moffat casually opened the small cabinet and took out the hefty, ancient-looking tome inside it. I believe this may be useful to you, Ink Dragon. Vorn put the book into his satchel along with the rest of the dusty tomes he pilfered from the room. Now, can we please get the fuck out of here? Those voices ain't getting any quieter, and I'm starting not to feel so good. And I sure shit don't want to run into whatever the hell else might be wandering around this fucking place. You've almost as foul a mouth as our dear river. Do you know that? I'm from the Bronx. What did you expect? Salvatore's right. It's getting dark out, and we have no idea what might be taking refuge in this place. So best we take what we have and set up camp somewhere. The group agreed, and Moffat's Lantern led the group back down to the large antechamber from which they came, shadowed memories of the place's ancient denizens, accompanying them all the way. The group set up in one of the ruined buildings, its walls primarily demolished and the scars of a war long past decorating its ruined body. It had much the same architecture as the larger structure they were in earlier. The contours of the place seemed exotic and organic, strange protrusions and sleek biotic shapes flowing into one another as if it was a living organism. The effulgence of the fire they had built spilled across the place, highlighting the masked visages of the degrading statuary which was still daunting despite its disrepair. Before settling on this place, they explored others that contained the relics of alien-esque machines, many of which were destroyed but still inferred a nefarious and unfathomable purpose. Wesley, Moffat, Salvatore, and Riva sat quietly around the blaze, their ears perking for any odd noise or out-of-place sound. Foran had been in his tent for several hours, transcribing some of the books he'd found, trying to excavate any information he could. Wesley didn't understand the Ink Dragon's persistence in completing his mission. After all, he imagined his superiors already thought him dead. But Wesley had always been somewhat anti-authoritarian, always skeptical of the powers that be. Vorn eventually came out of his tent, his face expressing concern in dark enlightenment. So, what were you able to find out? Hmm. Quite a few things. Some more troubling than others. Firstly, we're correct in assuming this place was occupied by the them. It's an ancient city called Halomir, and it was built quite purposely on a site of horrendous violence. The specifics of the event seem to be lost. Some accounts claim it was the site of a sacrilegious slaying of a creature known as a tannin, while others claim it was the site of a mass sacrifice, where millions were burnt alive. But regardless of its origins the Aerothym thought it a proper place to build their city and conduct their business. You see, as I've now come to understand it, the Aerothym gained their power from the corrupt energies of Serpent Lines, which tend to manifest in areas where extreme trauma has taken place. All their technologies are created to this end, allowing them to use the Serpent Lines and open up passageways to bulges, homes to creatures of indescribable power. However... The erythym do not open the bulges so much as siphon power from them, absorb it into themselves and their acolytes. As such, every erythym is different, depending upon what ancient powers it is fed upon. Halomir's king was an erythym called Rathu the Stricken, as he opened a line between this world and the bulge of crawling pestilence. This Rathu then corrupted his acolytes with the same power, all possessing aspects of the crawling pestilence. However, according to Rathu's journal, he partook in a secret mission with other Erathim leaders worldwide to create a powerful weapon. Together they performed a secret ritual, the details of which had been conveniently left out, where they sought to summon an unbegotten from one of the bulges. They thought they could control it, given the nature of the ritual and their capacities to absorb and manipulate serpent energies. At first, the thing seemed to be compliant, but eventually, as it grew older, it began to turn on its makers, raising armies against them and slaughtering their enclaves one by one. Halamir was one of the last Arathim bastions in Grimland, until the creature brought its forces here, and slew Rathu and his minions. So, the guy hanging on the wall up there is... The remains of Rathu. What the hell was it they summoned from the Bulger? I mean... Was it one of these, uh, unbegotten? I can't be sure, but I believe this particular excerpt is telling. It came from the bowels of some unknown hell and entered this world, not with a wail, but a sinister hiss. And it was born not from a woman's loins, or even a sentient creature that walks upright, but instead from the womb of a titanic snake. Grimland is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Stephen Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about Grimland and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about Grimland and the world of Maltopia, visit us at Maltopia.com.